Matthew chapter 10. Let's all stand then in respect to the reading of God's word. I read aloud, I ask you to follow along with me to the reading of Matthew chapter 10. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or tunics or sandals or staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, feel, fear him 
who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are, more, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives the prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. And God, give us understanding. This portion of scripture that we read this morning, we'll be preaching through as we continue our series in Matthew. If you would remain standing, let's have a time of prayer. We'll bow our heads in prayer. After prayer, we have a song from our choir, then the preaching of God's word, and then communion uh, tonight, or excuse me, communion following our preaching. Let's bow in a word of prayer. We thank you, Father, for allowing us to be here today. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for guarding and keeping us safe throughout the week. We thank you for your many blessings, the blessing of life, the blessing of knowing Christ as our Lord and Savior. We thank you for each one here that has come to hear your word. We pray, Lord, that you would open your word to our understanding so that we might receive and be challenged, be encouraged by your word. We pray, Lord, that if there's anyone here who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, you would speak to their heart today and draw them to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for those among us who are sick or have some type of ailment in their bodies. We pray, Lord, that we would look to you for sustaining us, for healing us, for keeping us, for watching over us, protecting us. We pray, Lord, you will continue to work in your people. Lord, we pray that you would equip us to do the work that you have, you have called us to do here in this city, in this area, that your gospel might continue to go out through sweet communion, through this church, that we might be faithful in serving you. Pray that you would challenge your people to serve you faithfully, to give to you faithfully. 
to love each other and minister to each other faithfully. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Our journey through Matthew, we are now at chapter 9. It's going to be chapter 10. It ties in with chapter 9. In chapter 9, verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So Jesus had made a circuit through the towns, the villages, and he was communicating the gospel. He made an observation of the people that we see stated in the last part of chapter 9. He says that the people... First of all, it says he had compassion on the people because he saw their need. They were harassed and helpless. They were like sheep with no shepherd. But sheep that were under attack with no shepherd to protect them. After that observation, he called for a response from his disciples to pray that God would send laborers out to the harvest. And the answer to that response came and comes in chapter 10. We see Jesus calls his disciples together, the 12. There were others who had heard Jesus speak and had believed in him, but he had called these 12 uniquely to accomplish his purpose. And he sends them out. gives them power and authority as he sends them out. It says power to over unclean spirits, to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. He names the 12 disciples there. And it says, first of all, Simon, as the leader of this group of, of men, We see these two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John. And then we see a number of individuals that aren't very familiar or don't have, the Bible doesn't speak a lot about their activity, but they are part of the 12. It is a comment about Judas, every time it lists his name in chapter 10, verse 4, it says, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. That's a note every time his name is mentioned. It wasn't an accident that he was chosen. Chosen for a purpose. He fulfilled that purpose. But it's noted that that's who he is every time he's listed. So not all of the acts of the apostles are mentioned or recorded in Scripture. Some have different roles that they played 
in the ministry of Jesus. But we see that they were all given power. And Jesus sends them out with this power. And so after he has preached to the people, he sends, he divides his 12 apostles or disciples and sends them out and gives each of them power. Look at the power that they have, power over unclean spirits, power to heal diseases, power to raise the dead. Now, the Gospels don't record a lot of this activity that they did, but Jesus apparently gave them this power. And I think this message in chapter 10 is a foreshadowing, Jesus telling not only what he did then, but what would happen with his disciples as they go out. Because all of this is not accomplished here in Jesus' time, before his death. But Jesus is speaking of, as he sends these out into the world, what will they do and what the response is going to be um, from the world and how they will um, respond to that. In other words, he foretells of the persecution that they will endure as they take the gospel out. So he, he sends them out, and then he instructs them. He tells them to go first to the people of Israel. In verse 5, he says this, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why does he do that? What is, what is he doing here? Well, what we see is God's plan unfolding. He has always had his plan to take the gospel or to use the, the gospel in Israel to speak to the world. Notice what he says here. Well, well let's see how it uh, um, matches with other scriptures. If you look at Verse 18 of this same passage, he says this, You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. That last three words, and the Gentiles, shows his purpose that he's taking the gospel out. He's taking it first to Israel, but he definitely has in mind that he's going to impact the whole world with it. There will be witnesses before Israel, yes, but also to all the world, all of the Gentiles. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, a very familiar verse, you know what it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. In other words, it's part of God's plan that the gospel go out, but it go out in this order. In John chapter 1, it says, Jesus came to his own, but his own did not receive him. This rejection by his own people was something that was part of God's plan in getting the gospel out. The Jews overwhelmingly would reject the gospel and did reject the gospel, I said overwhelmingly, it doesn't mean every single individual rejected. Obviously, the 12 disciples themselves were Jews who had followed Jesus and obeyed Jesus. 
But the nation as a whole rejected Jesus. And in that rejection, God used that to let the gospel out to every Gentile, to every person in the world. That's been his plan all along. We see in Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 3 as Paul addresses the, the, the nation of Israel that they had the law and yet they failed in living by the standard of the law. God warned them about condemning others and being hypocrites about challenging them to obey something that they themselves had not obeyed. So God, Jesus sends them out with these instructions. Go first to the nation of Israel. And then it was going to spread from there. He also says in verse 7 of our text that they were to proclaim this gospel. Proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Where do we hear that before? Well, John the Baptist, when he came and started his ministry in, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, it says this, repent. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand hand. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In chapter 9, verse 35, we looked at last week, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Same thing, that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The gospel has not changed. It, he, he, he challenged these disciples to preach this gospel, same gospel that we preach today. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's near. And the proper response is to repent, to turn from sin and embrace what God has said. We see the kingdom of heaven. We see God's grace being ushered in. We also see God's judgment is standing by. And he calls sinners to repent. He's calling each of us then to a repentance, a change of life from sin to God, turning from sin and turning to God. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is the message that the disciples were sent out with. We notice in verse 8, we mentioned already, but this is what they did. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. He gave them this power to act. He wanted to demonstrate through them his own power so that people might see this and hear this message and respond to it. He also told them to live under the support of those you minister to. He says, don't charge them, but allow them to support you. When you come to a home and 
They receive you, then stay there. Let the gospel go out. If they reject you, then he says, kick the dust off your feet. In other words, <laughs> that's a witness against them that they did not support you. Those who are worthy, he says, will report, will support you, stay with them. Those who are unworthy will reject you, move away from them, and God will judge them. So he sends his disciples out to take the same gospel that he's been proclaiming and to call upon the people for a response. But he warns them. And this is where I think the application is to us today. As the gospel goes out, this is what Jesus tells them to expect. What do we expect when we give the gospel today? Do we expect, well, what, what we should expect, first of all, is to stay focused on the message of the gospel itself and let God move in the hearts of those he's calling to himself. But Jesus warns them, starting at verse 16. He says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. As sheep in the midst of wolves. And then he calls for them response, for them to respond in accord with that. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. He's saying, I'm sending you out, and you're going to be under constant, vicious attack. Conscious, uh, uh, constant, vicious attack. As sheep among wolves. His disciples then should expect then, and we should expect now, for the gospel message to be one that incites a vicious type of an attack. Overwhelmingly, they would see that kind of response. Would that be the only response they see? No, they would see people come and believe in the gospel, but the overwhelming response would be one of rejection, and not just plain rejection, but turn from rejection to attack. And in, in, with that in mind, he says, I want you to be two things. I want you to be innocent, but not naive. Innocent, but not naive. Somehow I think we as overall believers today have this mindset that the world is going to be so happy to hear this message that they're going to applaud us and lift us up and it's going to be great. But that's not the response that Jesus tells them they should expect. Now, at the end of this message, I want you to see why we should be encouraged in that. 
But I want you to see the tone that Jesus sets. I'm sending you out. I'm taking, I want you to take the gospel out. But here, understand the environment, the circumstances that you will be preaching and witnessing under. You're going to be like sheep among wolves. At the end of the chapter, he says, the way they treated your master, you can expect them to treat you. So Jesus is foretelling of what it's going to be like to be a fervent servant of Christ. He says in verse 17, they're going to deliver you to courts. You'll be beaten in synagogues. Now, I don't think all that happened in the three-year ministry of Jesus and his disciples. So I think he's foretelling of what would happen later in the disciples' life and the general response that would happen overall. You'll be beaten in synagogues. That, that's an interesting statement. Synagogue is a place, is, it, there was a temple in Jerusalem where the Jews had to, 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 to worship. But synagogues was a local assembly in the towns, in the villages, where the people met to hear God's word. But he says, in this place where God's word should be proclaimed, they're going to beat you. He says they're going to drag you before governors and kings. We see in the life of Paul how he spoke the gospel. We see many people turning to the gospel, but we also see him being chased from town to town and eventually exactly that, being dragged before governors and kings. But he says this, don't lose sight of the purpose of this. And that purpose is in verse 18. You will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. You'll be dragged before them to bear witness. Now, their purpose in dragging you before them is not to hear you. But my purpose in having them drag, them, drag you before them is for you to stand on a pedestal of the courtroom or wherever it is I'm bringing you and to share the gospel. In other words, Jesus says, don't think it's going to be like you expect, but know when these things happen, I'm bringing this about in your life for you to speak, for you to trumpet the gospel. You see, our common thought would be if, if God gave us all this power and sent us out to do this work, and also we get arrested and beaten and taken to court, we think we failed. But he said, no, I sent you there with the gospel to bear witness. I'm taking the gospel to court. I'm taking the gospel to prison. I'm taking the gospel to school. I'm taking the gospel to, to, to the neighborhood, to the alley, to the side street. I'm taking the gospel there, and you are to bring it. This is how the world is going to hear the gospel. It's amazing to me that a lot of things change with COVID. 
Many churches closed down and stopped operating, and some haven't reopened because of COVID. We have many ministries who validated this idea that, yeah, well, we can't meet, but we can still do everything through video, internet, and so forth. And in essence, they stopped meeting together and doing what God called them to do, to be a bold witness in spite of what the world was saying. Then he tells them this in verse 19 and 20. I'm going to give you accommodation. I'm going to give you something that takes you through all of this difficulty. First of all, you see the purpose. The purpose of your challenges and difficulty is to open a door of opportunity for you to speak, for you to be a witness. So he says in verse 19, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. But what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. What is he saying? He says God used some extraordinary circumstances to give you a voice and an opportunity to speak. And now he is using you as a vessel that he might speak through you. And he says, don't you be concerned with what to say. In other words, it ain't about you and your speech ain't about you. I'm going to speak through you and I'll give it to you when you get there. You don't have to worry about it. I'm going to minister you, to you in, in amazing and miraculous ways and I'm going to have you open your mouth and speak in those situations and in those circumstances so that my word goes forth. One of the most intimidating things that we have as human beings is to speak publicly before others. And he said, don't be anxious about that because it's not up to you. The topic, the subject, the content of what you are to say doesn't come from you, it comes from God. Let God pour out what it is he has you to say for the circumstances that he brought you to. In other words, rely on God and ask him to use you for that purpose. He said this attack is going to be vicious, this attack is going to be personal. Within the family, verse 21 and 22, it says, brother against brother, father against child, child against parent. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Hated by all. You know, I don't think we're there yet, but we're headed there. And he doesn't say protect yourself from this. He says when you're in it, count on me, trust in me, rely on me to speak the word. In other words, the word doesn't stop because this happens. This is an opportunity for the word to go forth in a powerful way. It's like a backdrop so that the focus becomes 
on what is said from God. He wants people to hear his word. It's going to be a tough time. That's why I mentioned the COVID. I think it, it kind of reveals where we are. What happened in COVID is this. People's fears were revealed. <coughs> oh, I think I'm feeling a little sick. I shouldn't shake your hand. I definitely shouldn't come to church anymore. I think I just slowed things down a little bit. Their fear of their own safety superseded any and everything else. The God said, now, I, I know how we are. We said, well, well, Pastor, we can do things, the same thing, just in a different way. It doesn't stop the fact that we still overwhelmingly responded to our fear instead of obeying God. Here's what he says in verse 22. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. What does he mean by endure? He says, I want you to keep on giving my message, speaking my truth, living by faith. I want you to keep on doing it. I want you to endure it, not stop. I want you to continue to do it in spite of the circumstances and, in fact, because of the circumstance. I want you to be faithful in speaking and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, the kingdom of heaven was at hand, but since y'all killing folks like me, I ain't going to say it no more. No, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We see that in the life of John the Baptist. We see that in the life of Jesus himself. And even though the gospels don't declare it, as the years turned on, all the disciples began to proclaim this message with the same passion and lost their life because of it. Most of them did. But they continued. They continued to speak the truth of the word of God. When they tell you on your job, you can no longer say this or that, even in your personal uh, um, uh, conversations, what will you do? He says, those who are faithful to the end will be saved. In other words, they're going to show themselves for who they are by how they stand for the truth. And then he says this, verse 23, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Now, most people think that, okay, well, then you, you're just running, right? You're just running. No. What he's saying is, this is what Paul did when he was perse persecuted in Antioch and, 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 and uh, the, the, the other towns in there. You see that in Acts. Persecuted in one town, he went to the next and did what? Hid out? No. He preached the gospel in the next town. Persecuted in that town, what did he do? Run to the next and hide? No, he preached the gospel in that town. In other words, it didn't stop him from proclaiming the truth. He continued to proclaim the truth. 
You just went to the next. He says, this is what I mean by endure. When the attacks come, you don't stop proclaiming the truth. Wherever it takes you, you're proclaiming the truth. Whatever opportunities God sets you in, you're proclaiming the truth. This is what it means to follow Jesus. All along Jesus is preaching, he's been talking about what it means to be one of his disciples, one who follows him. It's one who would not spare his own life, but continue living and proclaiming the gospel message. That's what it means. It meant that then, and it still means that today. But when he says, when they persecute you here, you just continue on. You just continue on. You just continue proclaiming the message of the gospel any and everywhere that you go. You don't shut up. You don't cease. You don't stop. You continue living and proclaiming the message of God's word. And then he says this in verse 23. For I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I think he's speaking to them in their day, but he's prophetically telling what's going to happen in, in, in this age that we live in. One thing he's saying there very clearly is, I want you to be faithful until I come. Don't stop. Keep proclaiming. You just keep doing this until I return. Another thing he's saying is, you can expect this kind of attack and this kind of response until the day I come back. I think we prayed for revival in the United States mainly because we want a better country to live in and it'd be a lot safer and easier for us to do what we do here. I get it. I want safety too. But he's saying that's not always going to be the condition that you're going to live in. Be committed to not just changing your environment. Be committed to living the gospel in whatever environment you happen to live in. That's what he's saying. Sure, we'd love to change our environment. I love to make it nicer, cleaner, Sweeter, easier to live in, easier to live with, less hassle. Who wouldn't want that? But he says, these attacks, this kind of response isn't going to let up. It's going to be there when I come back. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. 
Now, that's probably easy to hear when Jesus was at this stage in his ministry because everything was just words then. He had a few encounters with the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, and they, they kind of didn't like him. We saw this going on. But later on, this is building. A climax is coming to where he's going to be put to death. And he's saying to the disciples, when he gets there, remember, the way they treated me is the way they're going to treat you. Expect that kind of treatment. And you say, well, pastor, in fact, you know what? I've entitled this message is preaching to the choir. And I think that's what Jesus was doing. You say, well, what's the hope in that? What's in there for us? Give us some encouragement. Nobody will want to be a Christian if that's all you preach. Here's the encouragement. Verse 28. Excuse me, verse 26. Have no fear of them. For nothing covered, nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. He's saying this. Tell me the truth. And you don't have to fear. The, the ones who persecute you and the persecution that's coming because the truth is going to come out. He's saying the truth is going to be revealed. You know what that truth is? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom means there's a king and there is his domain. Jesus is the king and the domain is everything. The truth is going to be revealed that Jesus is in fact king and his domain is all of his creation. He will set power or authority over all of his creation. That doesn't mean all his creation is going to enjoy his domain because he's going to judge that which is going to be judged and he's going to bring to him his own. But the fact is, he's going to do that. And that's our encouragement is that it's upside down now. Everything is messed up now. But when the king comes, he's going to reveal and put things back in place. So don't fear this temporary set of circumstances where the creature seems to be ruling over creation. It's not going to be like that long. He goes on to say, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. In other words, keep your mind, keep your focus on who's the real authority here, who's got the real power. Keep focus on who God is and what he's going to do. In that light, he says this. Notice how it leads right to this thought. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? He's saying this. 
Know and understand that God values his people. Even though we may go through extreme persecution, as Jesus did, as the disciples did, know and understand. Be grounded in this truth that God values his people. See, we have this mindset, well, well, Lord, if you have me go through something, you must not like me. That's not the truth. He had his son go through an excruciating experience of the cross, and he loved his son dearly. He loved us dearly as why he had his son pay the necessary penalty for us. It was necessary. But he loves and values his own people. He's basically saying this, the sparrow's a dime a dozen. But I'm watching over every, I'm concerned for every one of my creation. I know their value. I care about them. I love. I'm not sitting in heaven act like I'm not affected and don't understand or don't see what's going on. I know. I just want you to see the end of it. And you'll see how much I know. And you'll see how much I care. When we go through hard times, it's easy to feel abandoned and discouraged. He's telling us, you're going to have some hard times, but you are not abandoned, and you should not be discouraged. I want you to understand who I am and what I'm doing and how I value you. And he says that. He says, even a hair of your head are all numbered. He says, the smallest part of your life, I understand and value. I treasure that. I have created you for a purpose, and I value that purpose and value you. And you will not lose one hair without me being concerned about it. He said, well, God, why why take me through all this trouble? Because he's sovereign and that's his plan. That's, that's his decision to do. Our decision is to endure to the end, knowing that we have a loving Heavenly Father who cares for us and has tailored our eternity for us. He says, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. And with that in mind, be bold in your testimony. He ends that in verse, is it verse 31 where he says, you are more valuable, you, you are of more value than many sparrows. He says, I watch over each and everything in my creation and have a concern for the least of my creation. Know that I have a, 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 a concern, a proper concern and love for you. Then he talks about Again, our boldness. Those who acknowledge Jesus before others, Jesus will acknowledge before his Father. And those who deny and reject Jesus before others, he will deny and reject before his Heavenly Father. He says the true test comes when persecution and challenges hit us. It's easy to come to church when things are fun, 
easy, exciting, convenient. But he says, I want you to serve me when it's not all that because you know who I am in spite of your present circumstances. And in fact, this is the backdrop that sends a powerful message to the world. They're looking at us and wondering, yeah, 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 I see your faith because good things are happening to you. Remember the test of Job? Satan said, yeah, 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 he's rich, he's got it easy, he's on easy street. That's why he's serving you. God said, oh, mm-mm, mm-mm. It's, it's just... It, it's, it's, it's just a coincidence that he happens to be enjoying life and having many things. His faith is not tied to those things. And I'll prove it to you, and he did. But it was a big trial for Job. But he passed the test. He passed the test. You might ask, well, God, why do you test like you test Job, I'd rather not be tested. Guess what? That's not for you and me to decide. Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 22 and verse 42, um, I'd rather not be tested, God, but if it's necessary, send me through. And he did. Then the last thing he says is understand the nature of the battle. Verse 34, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Understand the nature of the battle. Here's the nature. There will be violence before there's peace. Now, we don't like to hear that, (laughs) but it's a fact. Jesus' coming will bring violence and not peace. Peace. In other words, it's going to bring violence before it brings peace. But that's the way things are. When you're in a messed up world, I'll use slavery as an example. Slavery was not going to be abolished by men speaking about it. You know what had to happen? There had to be a civil war to change. What's a civil war? It's a nation fighting itself. And it very well, in fact, could implode and be destroyed. But that had to happen to end slavery. Satan just don't take his hands off of something voluntarily. You got to beat him first. And Jesus says, I'm going to beat him down. I am going to beat him down. I think that's the part that the modern-day Christian doesn't understand. God uses violence. <laughs> Can I give you a sermon on that? Just look at Revelation. God used violence. He will do whatever is necessary to put things back in order, and he will totally destroy the work of Satan and Satan himself. Just read Revelation, and you'll see that he is happy to do that and will do that. Understand the nature nature of the battle. There will be conflict and violence before peace comes. If you want to live in peace, you better be willing to go to war. You better be willing to go to war. Are 
our country's declaration of independence was a declaration of war against England. And it wouldn't mean anything if others weren't willing to lose their life for that and actually did. God says, I'm going to declare and recover my people. I'm going to send my son to do it. And they're going to attack and kill him, but I'm going to get the victory. I'm going to use his death to usher in my people. By their faith in his death, they'll be redeemed. Their faith that I'm doing a good thing through the death of my son is going to bring people to new birth, to life, and into my kingdom. So Jesus closes by saying this. Whoever, 38, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. After that, he gives a reward. He says, look, there is a reward. When you, when you support God's work, he will bless. He'll give you, he will reward you. But it's a great cost. And he's calling us to count that cost. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It's not enough to just be here and hear the word of God. Word of God needs to change you to where you are willing to commit yourself to God in the circumstances that he chooses, not you. Lord, whatever it is you have for me, I'll trust you to give me the strength to go through to endure. We're going to have communion today, so I'm going to have a word of prayer. I'm going to ask our leadership team after prayer, they will come forward, prepare our hearts for communion. Father, we thank you for your word today. It's a tough word. It's a hard word. But you're calling people to your kingdom with all that in mind, the persecution in front of them. It says you endured the cross, you despised the shame, and right now <laughs> you sit the right hand on the throne of God. Before that sitting is a stand, standing for your father and what's right and accomplishing what you what he's given you to accomplish then the sitting comes later you're calling us to stand for you that we might have a place in heaven later that we will sit and enjoy your kingdom but now it's a kingdom that's opposed to all that this world stands for So I pray, Lord, that you move in the hearts of your people. Open our eyes that willingly we embrace Christ. And whatever you desire for us, we take on, knowing that you'll give us the strength and give us all that we need to live faithfully for you. 
As we take communion today, we recognize what Jesus did. He willingly took on a human body so that he could suffer, bleed, die, and shed his blood for our salvation. And shedding the blood is not the end of it. Now he is enjoying his place with you. Looking forward to the time when you're going to send him back to take all of us with him. May we be faithful until that time comes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.